Beetlejuice. 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 It's showtime. Welcome to the Beetlejuice Minute, where we discuss Tim Burton's Beetlejuice minute by minute. I'm your host, Julianne Fay, actress and owner of CinemaBliss.com, and my co-host today is Barry Rathbun. I am not an actress. I am more involved in the sound part of making movies. I hope everyone had a yummy Thanksgiving and that your feet don't hurt after shopping all day today on Black Friday. And today we have a special guest, a very special guest. Drum roll. Anthony Phillips. I want to be a real boy. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, it is the week of voices this week and we love it. Apparently. All right, Minute 39 is today, and today is Minute 39, where Beetlejuice entices the big fly to its demise, and Charles starts making real estate deals because, let's face it, that man does not know how to relax. I like he entices it with a Zagnut bar, and Zagnut has been around uh, in a few movies. Uh, I actually have a little bit on the origin of Zagnut. Oh, please ask. Please tell me, because I was going to ask. I'm just glad it wasn't my gumdrop buttons. Oh, not the gumdrop buttons! Who oh, no! You're a monster. It's one of my favorite and parts of that movie. Apparently, we turned into the Shrek minute for some reason. <laughs> that was one of my favorite moments of that movie. Sorry, go ahead, Zagnut bars. Zagnut. Uh, the origin is uncertain. The nut part presumably comes from either the coconut cu- coating or the peanut center. Uh, it only uses a little bit of cocoa, meaning it doesn't uh, melt easily, which is why it's good overseas and in you know meals ready to eat. In the 60s, Zagnut made fun of the unlikely name with a TV commercial created by Stan Freeberg. In the spot, a candy company exec was horrified to discover a computer had given the name Zagnut to the newest product and says, that is without a doubt the lousiest name for a candy bar I've ever heard. And in the end, he's forced to keep the name because millions of bars wrappers have already been produced, which leads to the tagline, a Zagnut by any other name would be a good thing. Hmm. Very funny. Interesting. But it's it's been in a couple movies. Uh... Have 48 hours. Um, John Candy uses it in one of the others to lure a bear. And it, it's, Great outdoors? Yeah. Yeah. Have either one of you actually eaten a Zagnut? Yeah, bar? I've had one. I have not. Yeah. How is are it they? good? But it's fine. Are it's they still good. around? It's, um, it reminds me a little bit. I know this is going to sound odd. Um, a little bit of a Butterfinger, but not. I mean, it has a coconut taste to it, but yeah, mm-hmm. it, it, I don't get the crunchiness of it, I guess. Yeah. Um, unless I'm totally confusing this with another candy bar that I ate. <laughs> well, it's had coconut, so. My question is, wouldn't a fly want something meaty instead of something coconutty? Sugar. Sugar. Houseflies want sugar. Sugar, They yeah. do want sugar? Yeah. Oh, well, then I take that back. Yeah, they get they, they will eat anything, but if you put a pile of sugar out, they will go for it. Oh, wow. Yeah. It's easily digestible, and then, because flies actually regurgitate and then eat it back up. So they actually dissolve it and then eat it up. Speaking of the lovely scene where the fly eats the donut in The Fly, uh, there's a, you know, in case anyone didn't catch it when the fly is being torn to shreds by Beetlejuice, he's saying, help me, help me, me." which Which was in the original. The original fly. The movie Gina Davis was starring in. I didn't get that. Well, actually, in the original fly, yeah. Help me, help me. The one with Vincent Price. Yep. Oh, I didn't get that, but I love that. Now, now I love it even more because it's a Vincent Price title. Well, back. and see, that's probably why mm-hmm. you used that's the why line because, yeah. you know, Vincent Price and... And Gina uh, Davis is and the fly Tim as well. Burton, yeah. Right. But I'm pretty sure the it's original, mainly the... Yeah. It, it was just the heads that switched. Mm-hmm. So the fly had a, a human head, 
And at the end, they went to kill it, and he was like, help me, help me! And they realized, oh, yeah, it's actually a really interesting movie, the, the Vincent Price one. Right. Sweet. Yeah. And uh, that was probably one of Michael Heaton's famous ad-libs, because it's not in the script. Oh, wow. And I'm sure Tim Burton loved it. I'm sure he did. <laughs> Which is why it's in the movie. It's also funny because he's got the Zagnut bar and the flies like, maybe, maybe, maybe. And then without the fly seeming to come really close, he just throws away the Zagnut bar and like grabs it. So it's not so much a trap. Right. It's more of an attack. More of an attack, yeah. Question, where did Beetlejuice's headstone come from? I'm assuming that Beetlejuice made it himself. I would assume so. Yeah, I would assume so. But later, doesn't he have to be, like, um, what's the word, excavated from his... Well, I mean... He still he is trapped. He does a couple things, yeah. So he is trapped. So how did he make the thing unless he made it underground and pushed it up through the grass? Well, he's actually out of there at one point in time, remember, because he's walking... This is a later minute, but he does walk around, so... Spoilers. Spoiler. So if you haven't seen the movie, you're doing this wrong. You're doing it wrong. So my theory is, is that... This is my theory. My theory is that the more that they talk about him and the more that they... The need is arising in them. Kind of, he does he, the more to the surface he comes. He's, he can't, he can't leave, but he's definitely coming to the forefront. Sort of a Terry Pratchett, small gods. Gods have as much power as their beliefs. Kind of. I in mean, other words, uh, you you don't really, you know, you have like one person believe in you, and you're a small little tortoise, and then you get like more people believe, and you have right. more power. Like I think he's drawn to the need. It's kind of like a, kind of like maybe like a, the Phantom Zone. In, in Superman, where when you're thinking of the particular person, that's who you see in the pyramid or in the triangle. You see the people that are in there, but when you actually go into the Phantom Zone, there's a whole world there. Mm. But you actually see who you're looking for or looking at. So it's kind of like that. I think that's kind of brought him to the surface. Like they're aware of him and he's getting stronger or maybe just closer to the surface where he could break through. I like it. I like it. So Max's skyline. First, we see... Maxie, played by Robert Goulet. Robert Goulet. Goulet, yes. Famous singer, famous Broadway star, singing voice for Wheezy the Penguin in Toy Story 2. Aw, sweet. He also has a star on the Walk of Fame. Paid for. (laughs) (laughs) Anthony would Uh, like to pay for one of his own one day. Well, what I was getting at is that a lot of people have thought for a long time that those were just given away. And actually, you have to campaign for one of those. You actually have to – it's more political. You actually have to go on a waiting list. You have to get approved. It's all this kind of hmm. – this whole thing to it. There's a process, and it's much more – it's not as magical as it seems. It's more bureaucratic. Yeah, and it's kind of sad in a way. You know, you, you're you all excited because you think, oh, you just reached this level of, of fame, and you're awarded one, and that's not exactly how it works. It's kind of like – it's 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 almost it's it's even worse than like the NFL or some of their Hall of Fames because they have to be inducted and voted on. Right. So it's kind of like that, but there's more money involved in it. So. Uh, also, this year he was in, or the year Beetlejuice came out, I should say, uh, he was in Scrooged, playing himself. <laughs> so it's kind of funny. He's he's made a career of playing himself in a lot of things. Right. So it's kind of fun to see him in an actual character. Right. I was going to say, the skyline behind him says everything we need to know about the Dietzes, which they do on purpose. Oh, yeah. It's just a massive, massive, iconic, yes, iconic New York skyline. It it totally looks like a translate. And it's clear (laughs) that it's a backdrop on purpose. But it's it's that glorious New York translate backdrop that you see in in movies. Right. Like like Beetlejuice. (laughs) 
How about the land deal? Well, he's talking about trying to buy the whole town. Mm. Oh, yeah. The fact that he cannot relax, but yet right. he wants to buy the whole... And well, he's, he's pretty wealthy. Nerves. He yeah. apparently was a demon back yeah. in the day. And he lost his, he lost his nerve. Mm. But here's the thing about that, too, is he's trying to buy this land. But I don't know. There's something... I don't, I don't, I don't know if it was intentional or if it's just me reading too much into it. Maybe it's... Chris isn't here, so I'm trying to get into a conspiracy theory. I don't know. New conspiracy theory, Maybe. <laughs> but do you think it's odd that he's a real estate demon? He moves out to the country, buys this house because he loses his nerve. And then while he's out there, he realizes he wants to buy the entire town, pitches it back to the guy. But don't you also think it's weird that she sold him the house so quickly after the Maitlands died? Do you think that maybe he... Had had he this and Jane are having a, yes, he had this ooh. thought from the beginning and said, "You give me a good deal on the house, maybe I can buy you in on the rest of this land deal that I'm planning." That is an interesting theory. I'm not sure that's exactly what's going on because the way the movie plays, Charles is is trying to relax, but his work brain kind of steers him over because you know he's like, "Ooh, birdies, do 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 do." Hey, it feels a little more like a realization. Well, it could be, but what if it's one of those recurring realizations? Like he gets there and goes, oh, the potential. Well, he clearly didn't talk it over with the boss because the boss is like, great, we own a whole town full of nowhere. Right, <laughs> right. But I'm wondering if somehow that came into the whole buying of the house deal. I don't know. Or I think or, maybe he could have cut her in after the fact. Exactly. Like yeah. a could combination of the that, two yeah. right after the realization. Right, and that's kind of what I was getting at. I was like, maybe it wasn't from the beginning, but once he made that realization, do you wonder if... Jane kind of gets pulled into that. And they don't show it, so, you know, all right. We'll make a whole other subplot. It's a whole other subplot, which we love to do because you can tell that Anthony and I are actors because we're like, what happens to these side characters? And writers. And writers, yes, about these side characters. So, you know, because Jane still is alive somewhere doing something with her little twinsy daughter. And uh, perhaps they were in on a deal. Mm. You know, we'll just never know. Mayhaps so. Mayhaps, mayhaps. Like this all, here's an inspirational moment from the Beetlejuice Minute. Like everyone out there, you are the star of your own movie. Remember that as we sign off of Minute 39. Until next time, save us some popcorn and we'll see you soon at the Beetlejuice Minute.